Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. All right, here we go. It is a Wednesday, so we'll visit with Jimmy Himes later in the program. We always enjoy that. Thank you for the uh, recent support. Hit the subscribe and like button if you haven't to this point or if you haven't previous days. Make sure you hit that like button every time you're on. helps to spread to uh, more people in the channel. And a lot going on as we've got some basketball overlapping with football, which that's always fun this time of year. I mentioned Jimmy Himes will join us. We'll talk about the UConn game. Was that the Vols' first complete win of the season? And then sign stealing in college football. I want to get Jimmy's take on this. To me, it's pretty stupid. You change your signs every week. I thought that was commonplace amongst coaches, but I guess not. And then you have what you have at Michigan. The Vols come in at 13. Uh, Lady Vols win their opener, and the fans uh, cheered on Brittany Griner, which I know can be a lightning rod of discussion when you get in to uh, Brittany Griner. We'll also have the five balls and tigers that you need to keep an eye on. As uh, Caleb, there's no question about it. Tennessee faces a, I think, a tough football team. I watched a lot of the Georgia game. I thought that that was nip and tuck until that last interception. And I think they face them on the road. And you know what I think about revenge games. So I don't think this is a gimme whatsoever. I hope you're well, Caleb Callahan. Yes, I am doing very well. Happy Wednesday to everybody. Um, and I totally agree. I think this is a tough game. And Missouri's an experienced team. And guys, don't forget who warned you guys about Missouri at the beginning of the year. And it was me. And Dave just could not get past his hatred for the program as a whole. No, I respected that decision. I respected your statement from the get. I said I don't like them, but I respect that. that was that in the Kentucky game on the schedule. Kind of uh, were, were two games I thought Tennessee should be most worried, but worried about. But by far Kentucky. I mean, you got UConn headed into Missouri, but you you didn't. I don't remember you saying Missouri would uh, be knocking on the door of the college football playoff. No, I did not say that. And I don't I never really thought they actually were knocking on the door of the college football playoff, but they obviously would have been had they beaten Georgia. There's a clear tier with Missouri, which we'll get to because look, the two toughest teams they played are Georgia and LSU, and they lost both of them. And so it and they didn't get blown out by both of them, but it was it was an it was significant enough to see that okay, they're a team that is a good team, a decent team, one of those middle above average teams that is not capable of shocking people to get into the college football playoff and they were never that level of good all right let's go ahead and get it rolling here so at our um 3 a.m production meeting we were, were getting together and uh caleb reminded me that there's a, a lot of ties between missouri's eli drinkwitz and josh heupel the difference is i think josh heupel gets mad and mean at you i don't think he does it in front of people eli drinkwitz likes to take the public stage and do that with jim rome i think josh heupel just runs a score up on you which you probably did last year against missouri there are a lot of ties between josh heupel and missouri some ties between eli drinkwitz as well let's uh, get into that and it's brought to you by andy mason of andy mason best service best prices in the biz 
Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. He's my realtor. He should be yours. Your thoughts on Drinkwitz and Josh Heupel. You have to say Josh Heupel's had more success to this point with a 2022 season under his belt, uh, what he did at UCF. How close do you think, from an objective standpoint, are these two coaches? If you were at uh, Texas A&M Southern and you're trying to hire one of these two guys and you're just taking a look at their resume, are they close or not? I view them as very differently, but you may not. If you're, you don't even have to do Texas A&M Southern. You could just be Texas A&M. They might be in the market for both these coaches if they can pony up some buyout money. <laughs> That's very true. If you mention one of their names, there's some more money coming in. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I think that Josh Heupel is the gets the nod because he's the better play caller on Saturday. I think significantly so. I think that's where the difference is. I think Eli Drinkwitz is a does have his own offensive system that works and can be a maybe a better CEO than Josh Heupel and to this point has been a better talent evaluator than Josh Heupel off the field. I mean, he uh, the guys he's found that we're going to get into in the second block. I mean, these are players that he found that are just very underrated. I thought Eli Drinkwitz was a rising star in 2020 when he went five and five with a very bad Missouri team, the COVID year. But then I learned very quickly, Dave, that you, you may have known this at the time, but clearly that COVID year, every record should be thrown out. It doesn't really count because nobody could really practice the way they wanted to. But I think that, I think Josh Heupel's a better play caller than Eli Drinkwitz. I, I don't think Eli Drinkwitz is a bad play caller. I think Drinkwitz is a better evaluator of talent to this point, but that may change with Josh Heupel. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I think the talent evaluation is going to be the key. Now, something that I, I anticipate writing about is uh, on recruiting, that's ultimately the, the, the best kind of talent evaluation. If you get so many great players, you just can't go wrong. And I've seen that happen at a couple of schools. One may have been LSU not that long ago. Um, so that, that does happen, but talent evaluation, you're going to have to make each one of them stick. And, uh, Eli Drinkwitz has the advantage and I don't know why Tennessee hasn't gotten this, um, gotten this figured out on a state congressional, uh, standpoint, um, that Eli Drinkwitz can be there for a negotiation with a player and a collective third party. That's, that's my understanding. Why do other states not have that? Like, like yesterday, Caleb. Yeah, that that's a really good question. You're talking about the one where they can like NIL athletes in high school now, right? And Eli Drinkwitz can now kind of be in negotiation. So, right, you're, um, technically that's supposed to be. It's supposed to feel a little bit old school, like I'm sliding you money, you know, on the down low when it's not at all. So why why in the world wouldn't the head football coach want to be aware of those numbers? I don't know why. Well, I I think Missouri is worried about keeping their. I think for Missouri, they have a bigger threat of keep of having to worry about keeping their kids in state. At Missouri, whereas I think with because Missouri is not a great football state, but Dave, you know this, you cover recruiting. There were usually at least what three or four players in Missouri that could be good every year coming out of high school. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah, Missouri wants to keep those players. I don't think Tennessee has the same issue keeping the three or four or five or six or seven or eight players in state that they want to keep in. Right? It, it, like if you're if the, if the program is rolling, they're keeping the best players in state usually, aren't they? Most programs are. I don't care who you are. You're if you're rolling, right? It's tough to say no to the in school team. That is very true. Um, 
I think I think Tennessee has an easier time doing it for some reason than Missouri does. But I think the issue with but I think the reason Tennessee doesn't care as much is because again, I don't think I don't think they I don't think Tennessee goes for in-state talent that much because there's just not a lot there. I mean, that was the case with Jeremy Pruitt. Whatever you want to think about Jeremy Pruitt, people got mad because Jeremy Pruitt just turned his back on the state. And he 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 basically made it clear he'd rather get second-tier Georgia players than top-tier Tennessee players any day of the week. He'd rather get Georgia rejects than top-tier Tennessee players. He was kind of proven right about that, by the way. Whatever else you think of Jeremy Pruitt, Heupel did what he did with second-tier Georgia players for the most part. He did. So vote on the poll that is up on YouTube right now. I've got Josh Heupel is blank compared to Missouri's Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, I've got 44% saying tons better, 33% saying better, and 22% comparable. You know, we're on this side of the fence, Caleb, so you can get closer to the story, which is Josh Heupel and this offense and what they did last year with Hendon Hooker and now the transfer to power for Joe Milton. You can get too close sometimes, and you can not only see or slightly exaggerate in your mind the pros of a college football program you coach, you can see also the uh, warts, so to speak, So when you get close. So if you're, it, I want to go to the message board. If you're Missouri, what's your number one concern about Eli Drinkwitz? Because we're close to this, and we can talk about talent evaluation. We can talk about being stubborn, but that's probably not something that Missouri fans know about, if that makes sense. So from the message board, 66 and 24 in 2021, 64 and 24 in 2022, 62 that's and 24. Yeah, and this year, those are the scores. In about 15 years, Drink has a chance. Is this Missouri program that much better? Yay or nay? Uh, right now, no. Tennessee's a much better program right now with Josh Heupel. Well, we I mean, this. just as it pertains to this week. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to be a big Oh, yeah. Um, I think that I think that Missouri – Missouri's an experienced team. We forget they were in a lot of games last year. They kept things close, and now with a lot of the players back, they're, doing, they're much better this year. Eli Drinkwitz is – it's the anti Butch Jones where Butch Jones had a very experienced team that didn't do any better than the year before, but they have actually, if you, they run the similar zone read schemes there, they, they, they both come from the zone read concepts. If you watch Eli Drinkwitz coach, it's very much zone read concepts throughout the game. And I think that for people bringing it up, because people are kind of trying to make the point, Josh Heupel's clearly better. He's blown out Eli Drinkwitz twice. Again, I said, Josh Heupel's a better play caller. Dave, he's also had better talent the last two years. Well, yeah, and there's no question Missouri's a tougher job. I mean, that that is that is the bottom third of the jobs, despite my personal criticisms of them being uh, arrogant, and it's not Harvard. Um, but that aside, you would agree that if you had the top third, which is the Alabama, Georgia's uh, of, of, of the world, and then you had a middle group, and then you had a third group. Missouri's in the third group, no matter how you define it, right? Yes, because they're, as you talk about, they don't have much of a home field advantage. You go to a Missouri home game, that's not going to entice you to go commit to that school as a recruit. That's probably the biggest reason it's not that great of a job. So here's what we're hearing on the message board. Um, This is from SC Scout Guy, and I love his input because he's a South Carolina guy, and that's cool. Uh, I actually think Drink is a better play caller. Justin Heupel has much better talent. Interesting take. Um, You're shaking your head, though, Caleb, already before I get to some more messages. Yeah, Heupel has better talent, and he's a better play caller. That's why he's able to beat Missouri 66 to 24 or 62 to 24. Okay, fair enough. Uh, David agrees with you putting uh, Winklewitz and Hypo in the same category as heresy. 
I, I will tell you this from from just big picture. We won't get into play calling and if the quarterback's making the right raid on a pull or that sort of thing. But the ability to manage a program, be a CEO and not make stupid comments on the Jim Rome show right before SEC media days, that has to go to Josh Hopple, correct? Are we sure? One of our critics, not now, not making stupid comments goes to Josh Heupel. But what about the other part of the CEO job, which is we just brought up talent evaluation, also manage, managing injuries. I mean, look, there's a Tennessee well, has SC a loss. Scott guy, SC Scout guy is, is saying the injuries have just been insane this year. Uh, they have been but, hit on you. Yes, but again, Dave, you Tennessee has a loss to Florida because of a Cooper Mays injury that you can put on Josh Heupel, can't you? Yeah, probably should have determined that in April. Somebody determined it in April. You have Cooper Mays ready to go at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and that's yeah, completely that's where, where 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 Tennessee went wrong. All right, five top balls, five top tigers that you need to watch heading into the season. It will also lead us in to four downs, which we love. And the guy who always sets us up is the one, the only Cooper Mays. Does that? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Have you not done that yet? Go ahead and subscribe now. The numbers are through the roof, and that's thanks to you. Tell a friend. The app is out there to download as well. Here we go. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. So Jimmy Himes will join us here in just a bit, but let's start with this. Five Tigers to watch in the upcoming Tennessee-Missouri game. Uh, Caleb, again, like like I said, this is not a team bereft on talent. This is not a November team like uh, Kentucky or Vanderbilt back in the day where Tennessee should just be able to roll the ball out there. They're a considerably better football team but it's not a roll the ball out there or any sort of thing. Uh, not at all. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn enjoy life better when you see better. Local vision service for LASIK, cataract surgery, and regular eye examinations. Go to cctis.com, cctis.com. Give me five uh, Missouri Tigers I should feel worried about. All right, so I'm going to start with the player that's now we're all questioned about because Luther Burden, their top receiver, who is third in the SEC in receiving yards, is now listed as questionable for Saturday's game. I think this is gamesmanship by Drinkwitz. It's one of the goofy, when we talk about goofy, one of the goofy things Drinkwitz does, I think, is try to fake some stuff like this for gamesmanship in a worse way that, yeah, worse way than high school. I think Luther Burns playing. I could be wrong, but I think he's going. He's going to go. Um, he, Tennessee obviously has, I am still not sold on Tennessee secondary. It's been much better this year, but then Kamal hadn't got hurt. And since Kamal hadn't got hurt, they played Kentucky and UConn. You can't really gauge the secondary on those two games, honestly. And Devin Leary moved the ball pretty well on him. So, because, again, to the message board, I'm just going to say Kamal Haddon was the MVP of the team until he got hurt. There, I said it. Um, Yowch. Look yeah. at him. He's digging up the old Haddon issues. Y'all can uh, hate on him says, all day. He's a superstar. Daniel um, says, is there any truth to the fact that Coop was misdiagnosed or that it was just a cover story? I'm going to say this because we all know that we have a relationship with Cooper Mace. Okay. This is nothing that Cooper has told me. I made it my mission to build more than one source. And that's the guys I'm doing weekly podcasts with and Jacob and Cooper. They'll be up to date. This is not coming from Cooper. Okay. But yes, 
there was there's a concern that it was misdiagnosed and it should have been earlier in the year. The one thing I do want to lay to rest, this is not from Cooper. I want to go ahead and say that. Uh, is that there was some sort of cover-up story. It wasn't a cover-up story. It was just a bad diagnosis, and it bled into the season. No, you know, I didn't mean to make that pun, but that's what happened. It's as simple as that, Caleb, but it should have yeah. been diagnosed in April. Should have been diagnosed in April. When someone is telling you, I mean, this is a problem with doctors in real life. When someone's telling you they're in pain, believe them. How about you? if someone says something's wrong, like medical. Oh, yeah, and then, then I love it. I love it when they say, now this isn't like this for Tennessee players, okay? But I love it when they say, yeah, I feel like we can get you in pretty quick. How's February 2028 looking? And you're like, February 2028, I could be dead by then. Yeah, So exactly. <laughs> when you have I to mean, see a specialist, those are fun. You know, you, um, but you, you schedule them so far out, you don't even remember. All right, what, 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 what okay. other Tigers should we be concerned so, about? So, yeah, back to uh, the Tigers. Luther Burden, I think he's going to play. He's He may be the best wide receiver in the SEC right now. So, all right, so another one, Cody Schrader at running back. This is going to be a game of running backs, by the way. Cody Schrader leads the SEC in rushing right now, 162 carries for 919 yards and 10 touchdowns on the year. Again, we talk about the zone read plays that Eli Drinkwitz runs. It's kind of what you talk Dave, your favorite word, gap integrity. Zone reads, that is where gap integrity is most crucial, isn't it? On zone read running plays? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, if you don't have both bases covered, you can get beat, beat pretty bad. That's why somebody brought up a notion that uh, Joe Milton recently was told to not make a read, to keep by design. That's a good way to get your quarterback killed. I mean, what if they're playing keep? And he comes around the corner. <laughs> I mean, you've got to make the real read you've on got that. got to make the read, yes. And Missouri's whole offense is designed on that. So watch out for Cody Schrader. And then a couple of defensive guys. Chris Abrams-Drain, the cornerback, he has four interceptions on the year. But, Dave, it's not like one of those type of cornerbacks that gets burned and then gets picks. He's a top 10 PFF cover corner in college football. In the SEC, only Kamal Haddon was better. And there, I said it again. But only Kamal yeah, Haddon Kamal was better. Kamal keeps hurt. coming up. Because he was a superstar, and I hate that he got hurt because he was not getting the respect he deserved. He was the best cornerback in the SEC when he got hurt. and But Chris Abrams' dream is now the best cornerback in the SEC with Kamal Haddon out, so watch out. Another thing, Missouri is tied for 17th nationally in sacks. They got 27 on the year. They have a great front seven that puts a lot of pressure, brings a lot of pressure. Darius Robinson is the anchor of that. Dave, he's 6'5", 290, but plays defensive end. And... Has eight and a half, eight and a half tackles for a loss. I did notice they play three down a lot, which is similar to, um, well, I want to say Kentucky did that a lot, uh, but I was talking to Cooper about that, so it's good to be prepared for that. I noticed they had a lot of three down linemen looks. Go ahead, yeah. They well, they their their base, I think, is still technically four three, but you're right, it's kind of a I think Tennessee does this sometimes. Tennessee can play three down even if their base is 4-3. I don't think, you know, 10 years ago, if you make that switch, it was such a big deal. I don't think that switch is a big deal anymore. Do you? 3-4-4-3. Four, four, no, that's why we came up with a term that I hate, edge. Like, it was yeah. too difficult for us to write D-E slash L-B. But anyway, whether or not you yes. play with your hands down, it's, it's really where you're lined up on the tackle's uh, uh, shoulder. But anyway. Exactly. All right, so. so Darius Robinson has, just want to point this out, eight and a half tackles for a loss and five and a half sacks on the year. Uh, playing in that role. So he's he's the anchor of the elite pass rush for Missouri. Okay, we got uh five balls to take a look at. Let's do no, that. No, we got right. we, we got one more cuz we got to got to give love to Brady Cook the quarterback. That's my bad. I thought we had already talked about Brady. Dave hates Brady Cook. Dave thinks Gaston Moore should be starting at Missouri. 
I love Brady Cook. I love Gaston Moore, but I don't think he should be starting. This is the me- this is the message board of misquoting the misquote message board. Does <laughs> I'm just nothing pr- but 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 does nothing but just uh, causes confusion. Everybody thinks I'm down on Nico. I'm not. All right. So um, what do we got for five balls to watch? And I'm gonna throw four downs at you and break them down. All right. Number five is Jalen Wright. Again, battle of running backs, uh, Cody Schrader versus Jalen Wright. That's going to be intriguing to watch. Tennessee's going to have to run the ball well against Missouri. Number four is Jalen McCullough. Missouri has been prone to throw some interceptions this year, typically to safeties. McCullough just had an interception last week, and he's a hard-hitting, strong safety, which, as you know, Dave, in a zone read short pass offense, the hard-hitting, strong safety can be the biggest impact player, particularly over the middle, right? <laughs> yeah, no and doubt about it. Um, a guy Fred named White would White. love to play in this game. Yeah, Fred White made a pretty good living uh, off that. Um, And who else? Squirrel White is number three. Uh, Missouri is prone to elite playmakers at receiver. Lab McConkie had a breakout game against him last week. Elijah Herring is number two because, again, Missouri's zone reads, the linebackers have to stay in their lanes, and it's crucial for the middle linebacker to be the anchor of that. So that's why Elijah Herring is going to be very crucial in this game. And number one is... A guy that Josh Heifel tried to recruit when he was offensive coordinator at Missouri. This guy by the name of Joe Milton. Maybe you've heard of him. Yep. Uh, let's get to that. Herald Group Security Solutions Leadership Experience Specialization Addressing Problems Through Unique Mission-Specific Mitigation Techniques Making Your Children Safer One School at a Time. Wherever you are, you can call uh, your public school and say, hey, what about Herald Group Security Solutions? These are former servicemen who take security very seriously. It's another level up for your workplace or another level up for your son or daughter and their home. So heraldgrp.com, it's Herald Group Security Solutions. I mean, these guys do like cool extraction stuff. So they can certainly make your children safer or your workplace safer. So we go to four downs. Cooper, what should people do, though, first before we get to four downs? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. All right, Coop, what we got first down? Coop here, first down. Okay, so I want to break down some of your picks as when we look at when we look at the upcoming game. So let me start with um, Jalen Wright, who you believe will be the leading rusher. Is that correct or not? Yes, Jalen Wright will be Tennessee's leading rusher. Okay, how many yards will we have over under on Jalen Wright? That is first down. Brought to you by our friends at Harold Group Security Solutions. I think he's going over hundred. I think I think I haven't made my predictions yet, but Tennessee has run the ball really well in Missouri two years in a row. I, I don't see why that changes this year, this year, even with okay. Missouri being better. All right, I put it at ninety nine point five, and uh, Caleb takes the over. How about that? All right, uh, second down. Cooper Mays here, second down. Okay, so we established that Wright will be Tennessee's leading rusher. Rusher, who will be Tennessee's? Uh, Biggest ground gainer that can be receiving yards, that can be rushing yards, or combined total yards from line of scrimmage. So passing yards, not counting, right? Not passing. <laughs> no, not, not the okay. Um, I think it will be Squirrel White. I think Squirrel White's going to go off in this game. I'm, I'm Does Squirrel like- have a uh, um, a Jalen Hyatt game in him? The the Insano two hundred and fifty so. yards receiving three touchdowns. Does he have one of those? In Whoa, him? don't short sell Jalen Hyde. It was five touchdowns, bro. <laughs> I'm trying to be realistic. Uh, okay. Um. Yeah, I think he has that type of game in him. I think he actually has shown, look, I think he's shown he's as good as Jalen Hyde, just shorter. I, I Squirrel can line up at whiteout. Jalen Hyde wasn't great at doing that. Okay. 
Uh, I'm on that. Uh, it would be interesting. Could this be uh, a Dante? Th- well, let's go ahead and make that third down. Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. The kid's trending up. Dante Thornton's trending up in the past two weeks. This is one of those that if I were going into a weekend, I was considering what I wanted on the front page of the Friday afternoon paper. It would be a uh, it would be a gamble, but it might be a good gamble to go with Dante Thornton because you've written about everything else to this point. Thornton could be good, but if he goes out there and drops two passes on Saturday, you look like a maroon. I mean, they Thornton <laughs> was the feature of one of the press conferences earlier this week about him getting comfortable in the offense. You could get great odds on a prop bet with him. I'm not saying I'll ignore that, Dave. Let's just put it that way. Uh, uh, a news credibility prop bet. So you're right about him. He has to at least catch 80 yards or so in a touchdown for, for it to warrant front page of the paper, front page of off the hook sports. Uh, so we'll use that as the barometer. What down are we on now? It's the last down. Come on, head, come on. Senator Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. <laughs> it is fourth down. Billy Napier? What is that? I said, are you Billy Napier for getting the details? Yeah, I totally forgot the down right there. It was uh, That's on me. Uh, detail-oriented Billy Napier forgets downs for third time this season. Um, this guy right here will play over 14 and a half plays. That was our over-under last week. 14 and a half plays. What are you taking at Missouri? I'm going under for two reasons. I don't know if Tennessee will have the blowout that they want, but two, we see what Josh Heupel likes to do to Missouri. So even if Josh Heupel gets a big lead, Josh Heupel might leave his starters in there for a couple extra drives, just, you know, for a couple extra touchdown passes. Do you think for one millisecond, Josh Heupel says to himself this week, man, I really shouldn't have tacked on that last score and tried to make sure and stick it to Eli. Um, that was probably a mistake. That's going to hurt me this week. So you think he thinks about that for one millisecond, like he's no, getting out I, in and out of the shower why he's taking the dog out at any moment. Does it enter his mind? No, I think I no, And here's why that you only regret that. If the other team is superior to you, talent wise, you don't want to anger them when they're superior to you because you want to beat them. But if they're Hoke inferior the bear. to you, Hoke the bear. Yeah. I think that like, like for instance, you didn't want Michael Jordan to take something personally. If you were playing him in the nineties, but do you think Michael Jordan cared if one of his opponents took something personally? <laughs> I mean, no. You think, no. you think he's like, oh man, John Stockton took this personally, and he's going to give me some trouble in the finals? And <laughs> yeah, so, in his in, in his minivan, he was famous for uh, driving a minivan to all of the uh, USA uh, practices. By the way, uh, Brittany Griner gets a warm welcome from uh, Tennessee's fans. We're excited about some new Lady Balls coverage we've got on uh, Off the Hook Sports. So check that out. Uh, Hemp House, premier hemp dispensary online with a wide variety, great selection, and strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. Go to Hemp House Chat right below. It's two T's. Hemp House Chat right below. is two T's dot com. And use the promo code HOOKED and get 10% off. Support our sponsors. That is why we are here. How about Jimmy Himes coming up next? we got a big crowd on board, so we're glad to hear that. We want to hear your thoughts. Do you want to ask Jimmy anything in particular? Because I can certainly work that in. Uh, Or do you just want to tell uh, Jimmy a great job recently? Because he's throwing heat from a riding standpoint. There he's uh, clicking in two minutes. It'll be Jimmy Himes with Caleb Calhoun and me, Dave Hooker, off the sports. Sand and saltwater, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. 
Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Have you seen the latest TriStar Hats Co. product? TriStar Hats Co., what's that? You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me. Ah, I got you. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them? Simple. TriStarHatsCo.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED. With the promo code HOOKED, you get 10% off. That's HOOKED. And don't forget free shipping with any order over 50 bucks. Stock up at TriStarHatsCo.com. That's TriStarHatsCo.com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to TriStarHatsCo.com for the best quality and customer service. Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED when I do to save an additional 10% off. TriStarHatsCo.com. TriStar Hats Co. is a trademark of TriStar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Getting back to our conversation a little bit. So, Caleb, is Eli Drinkwitz the guy that you call after Josh Heupel says no? Or is he the guy you call after the guy you call after Josh Heupel says no? Let's say you're Texas A&M. I was joking around. I was saying some lower-level school. I don't know why I said that. I have no idea why I said that a lower-level school. Oh, if you're you're Texas A&M, he might be the guy you call after the guy you call after Josh Heupel says no because who is the guy you call at Texas A&M oh it's Josh Heupel because here's the thing is Josh Heupel is exactly who you call at Texas A&M because right now the issue with Texas A&M is not getting talent it's getting players to deliver on that talent Josh Heupel whatever else you want to say he gets players to deliver on the talent I mean he delivers on the talent he has okay so with their talent base Josh Heupel could step in there and and let's face it he did benefit from Jeremy Pruitt some of their their talent Josh Heupel could step into AM and win 10 games how quickly? Next year, easily. Josh Heupel is Texas AM is loaded with top 10 talent. Josh Heupel could have a top five team his first year on the job. The only reason he wouldn't is I don't know how one, it's you you t- showed me this, Dave. It's not like you need a year to learn Josh Heupel's system. This offense can be picked up in like two weeks, right? And so yes. I mean so. They'll pick up the offense in two weeks. I think Josh Heupel could win 10 or 11 games at Texas A&M next year. I think he could win 12. He would immediately have a better team at Texas A&M than he's had at Tennessee all at, in three years to this point. Uh, do you, okay, is that something Tennessee fans could, should be concerned about then? Not yet. Again, remember how decimated the program was th- two years ago? They have not been able to rebuild their depth back. But Jeremy Pruitt, they, what happened was Jeremy Pruitt found some very underrated, overlooked players. And I think... Well, you have to do that a lot, though. Well, yeah, but here's the pro- Here's the thing. Tennessee had 
underrated players, overlooked players that, but so that was good enough for Josh Heibel to have a top 10 team to have them play over their heads. But it, you can't win national championships with overlooked players. You have to win national champion. You, you win national championships with players who are good and everybody knows they're good and there's nothing holding them back. Well, let me has that talent. Okay, but let me throw this at you. AM has talent. I'm not arguing that, but my argument would be there's two parts of recruiting, two very distinct parts. One is evaluating the three star that's going to be a five star because they can all be five stars because the recruiting services don't give out that many five stars. Okay, so we're, we're using and, and you as a player should, as a coach, should be able to see the player that's going to fit into your scheme and work. So Half of the successful players you recruit need to be three stars that you coach up to four or five stars. The other half that are successful and contribute to program, and if you look at it each and every year, you, 25 signees, you can cut it down the middle. It's 12 or 13 contribute, 12 or 13 don't. The other ones need to be ones you won, like five-star battles against uh, Arian Carter, for instance. They need to be battles that you won against other big schools, right? About half that that's the rule for Tennessee. That has not been the rule for Alabama the last 10 years. Nick Saban has not needed three stars. He can coach up to four or five. Oh, no, no, no. I totally I agree. Alabama and what they've done over the past, what, 17 years now, that's not going to happen again. So I'm yeah. allowed to at any point call and Georgia over the time out. Yeah, and say that's a, that's the exception to the rule. Georgia may do it, but talk to me. In they have years. done it. Well, that's the thing. Georgia is at the point where they don't have to coach up three stars because of how much they've loaded up on recruiting the last couple of years. So I think that's kind of a big thing. So Josh Heifel, I do think Josh Heifel gets the most out of the talent. But again, Tennessee hasn't been able to fully stock the cupboard yet. I don't know if it, it, I I said this before, the red flag doesn't, I'm not going to throw it until next year. If Tennessee is, is shorthanded talent wise next year, I'm throwing the red flag, but I, okay, let me, let Speaking of red flag, uh, you don't let a bull see red because it makes them angry. And you have a lot of bulls in Texas, and you have Texas A&M that may be looking for a coach. I wasn't really trying to start anything here, but now that Jimmy Himes is here, we might as well uh, bring him in. I know he's getting settled. But if you're, te- if you're Texas A&M, do you think of Josh Heupel as a great candidate if uh, something doesn't work out with Jimbo, which it's not. Let me bring Jimmy in on this. Jimmy Himes joins us, uh, Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. How are you, Jim? I'm doing fine. How are you? Good. Fun connection uh, issues, as we often have when we bring in this video uh, element as well. So I know how that is. This was my fault. Uh, I left my laptop at the tennis match last night, and so we're, we're having to uh, call an audible. Sorry. More importantly, did you win? No, it was, it was a pro tennis, an Knoxville challenger. I was out oh, there yeah. watching pro tennis players. And uh, I had been assigned to their social media for the Knoxville challenger. So I'm interviewing players, posting pictures, and doing stuff that retired people do. Jimmy and I were sitting pretty close together when um, John McEnroe just uh, decided to unleash a tirade during one of those events. He, he didn't save the... Uh, uh, the salty language for just the big events. He's ready to throw that out at any time. I was with my 12-year-old daughter, and he's playing an <laughs> exhibition game with James Blake. Blake's ranked eighth in the world. McEnroe's like 48 years old. He's over the hill, and he kept hitting serves that were out. 
And by golly, the linesman called him out, and McEnroe took exception and went over there and dropped about 42 F-bombs. One of the most <laughs> embarrassing things I've ever seen. Unbelievable. Yeah, what it was bizarre. It was almost like he became a caricature of himself. He thought he had to do that to live up to the hype, I thought. It just seemed forced. I remember it just seemed weird. But anyway, speaking well, of forced, I hope this is enough. Yeah, okay. Who knows? Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that afterward, Lenny Simpson went over there to talk to McEnroe, and McEnroe apologized. He said, I just can't control my temper when I lose. Uh, this just in. <laughs> We've known that for 30 years. So, anyway. Yeah. And in sports, you're you going to lose. Right yeah, yes, you asked about A&M? Yeah, you A&M. Josh Heupel. Would they be, cr- uh, would yeah, Josh would they be crazy be to call Josh great? Go ahead. No, they wouldn't be crazy. In fact, they should. Uh, not that he would go there. But why not call him? I mean, look what he's done with Tennessee, with Tennessee's offense. What's one of Jimbo Fisher's biggest problems at A&M? He can't get an offense to score consistently. And Hypo would. Hypo would take A&M's talent, and he would average probably 40 points a game. Uh, I just I, I just, just think that um, uh, Fisher is an overcoach. He's been an overrated coach. He was lucky to have Jameis Winston. Uh, he's only had one good team at A&M with, in spite of all the resources. Uh, of course, it's tough to fire a guy and then pay him $77 million. And then when you go ahead and hire somebody, you're going to have to pay that guy a ton of money, too. Would I call Hypo? Absolutely. Do I think Hypo would go to AM? I don't. I think he'd stay at Tennessee. Okay, let me Bye. let me ask a follow-up. Why do, you, why, do, why do you say that? Why do you think he would stay? I think he's loyal to Tennessee. Now, I'll say this. If AM comes in and offers him $15 million a year, uh-oh. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know if they'd want to do that in lieu of a $77 million buyout. Are they going to say, hey, we're a little bit limited in our funds here? I don't know. But somebody's got to pay that buyout. And so when you do, are you able to go out and hire a coach for $10, $12, $15 million? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they do. But I think that all things being equal, salary being equal and so forth, he, I think he's loyal to Tennessee. He loves Knoxville. He loves what Tennessee has offered him. Tennessee gave him a chance to coach at a big-time level. He appreciates that a little bit like Tony Vitello. I don't see Vitello leaving Tennessee. I think he's loyal to Tennessee because Tennessee gave him a shot at this level. And so I, I don't see uh, Hypo leaving for the same reasons I don't see Vitello leaving. Jimmy, I want to get to your column in a minute, but I guess before I start, I, I, I would my last question on this, though, is I understand your point. And if you look at history, Tennessee has had more success in history than Texas A&M. But I think that's largely due to Texas A&M being the Mets of college football, where they just had the resources to be a top 10 program and have been too incompetent to be a top 10 program. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I, I wonder if Jimmy Haslam's running them. But OK, sorry. But <laughs> um, but I my question would be. The money's one thing and Tennessee's a big time program, but the money isn't it a little to a lot easier to win if you go to Texas A&M too. And I know Tennessee fans don't want to hear that, but I mean, it, even now Texas A&M, I think we all agree has better talent than Tennessee. I, I think they do. And, and to your point, does A&M have more resources than Tennessee? Yes, they do. Here's another thing I wonder about. A&M just went out and signed that incredible class cup. Lost a lot of those players by the time those NIL deals. Is the AM job being made tough for a little bit by the fact Texas is coming into your league? Because Texas is still the number one yes, school yes. in that state. And Texas is going to get typically 
the best players in that state unless A&M pays them a little bit more through NIL. So I think a I think Texas coming into the league makes A&M job a little bit harder. I wasn't specifically looking to go this way, but now that we've got you, um, there, there was always out there, and perhaps if we would have done a little bit more digging, me included at the time, I would have said uh, Scotty Lane Kiffin would up and bolt for Southern California in a heartbeat. I don't think there's a school like that for Josh Heupel, considering the way things ended at Oklahoma. I thought NFL maybe, but assuming things go swimmingly at Tennessee, what is Josh Heupel's next job one day if you had to make a bet on it today? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think he goes NFL because I don't think NFL looks at his offense and says, yeah, that'll work at our level. No, the NFL is kind of snobbish about stuff. It took him forever to decide that a guy like Jalen Hurts, who's a good runner, could play in the NFL. Now, Hurts has proven it, but we've not seen an offense like Tennessee's in the NFL. So I don't think the NFL is going to come after him. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some owner out there that is a visionary and looks out and says, hey, you know, let's try something different here. Uh, So I don't think it's going to be NFL. I don't think it's going to be Oklahoma, Dave. I think you hit it. I I think the way he left, and he's still uh, bitter about uh, Stoops and Stoops' involvement in the program and Stoops' son still on that Oklahoma team. I don't see it as being Oklahoma. So where else does he go? I, I don't know. I don't think he has any marriage to Notre Dame, which is considered a prime job. Nothing to Southern Cal. Uh, nothing to Ohio State. Uh, maybe he can go to Michigan and, and get somebody to scout some games for him and went up there. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't see another place that just really strikes me as to where he would go. Um, look, I guess there is maybe, maybe Carolina would look and say. Hey, this isn't working. Let's go get. Let's go try somebody that's got a unique offense. But it's hard for me to pinpoint any place that he would go. Um, I'll say this though: if I had my choice in our hypo, I would go to Texas over Texas A&M. Now, the Texas job isn't open, right? And Sarkeesian has has got them going pretty good right now. But but Texas would be a better job to me than A&M, and also considering the Mac. Brown won a national championship there and averaged, what, 10 wins in about a 12-year period. Well, and I think there's a reason, too, that A&M was always viewed as the redheaded stepchild, and I can see mm-hmm. that say that because I've got red hair and both my parents were remarried. But, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, I think that they can you – know, that you look over the course of history, they've been the redheaded stepchild. It looked like maybe they would move with their SEC moving and – um, and, and they would match Texas, but now Texas is going to be in the SEC. So I see them kind of sliding back into that role a little bit. I, I do too. And the thing that's really uh, mind boggling about that, I think this is still true. Uh, Jimbo Fisher through his tenure at A&M now has a worse record than Kevin Sumlin at the same point at A&M. Wow. You fired Sumlin. And you brought in Fisher and played him, paid him this ridiculous salary. Uh, certainly, schools should learn you, you shouldn't give a buyout of that magnitude to anybody not named Nick Saban. Of course, Saban's too old now to lure away from Alabama. But, yeah, I think that uh, A&M is underachieved. They've been one of the biggest underachievers in this league because I'll agree with Caleb. Their resources are outstanding. They got money. You can take the second-tier players in Texas and be pretty darn good. Kind of like you could take for a time, you could take the second tier players in South Florida and be pretty darn good because they got that many players in the state. 
but yeah, they have been one of the biggest underachievers, and I'm really surprised A&M has not had more success in the SEC than they have. Jimmy, I'm yeah. curious, uh, your your column, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Caleb, but um, as far as your prediction column is out, portions of the program brought to you by Sports Treasures, carrying over 5 million Sports Treasures and so much more follow on Facebook for the best sports mem- memorabilia daily updates. Uh, go to Sports Treasures TN on Facebook and you will get the updates. But your thoughts on uh, Tennessee and Missouri this weekend? Yeah, um, so the premise of my column this week is if it gets right down to it, and Vegas has this as a pick'em game, so it should be an even game. To win the game in the last two minutes, would you rather have Tennessee's offense to go down and score, or would you rather have Tennessee's defense to stop Missouri? So I went back and forth with the stats both ways about which unit would you have the most confidence in. And based on the fact that Tennessee has scored 66 and 62 points in the last two games against Missouri, They've averaged over over 700 yards in those two games. They have averaged over 360 yards rushing in those two games. I picked the offense because I think Josh Heupel's offense has Missouri's defense number. Now, I know Missouri's better than it was. I get that. But I think, I really do think that uh, Tennessee's offense is the way I'd want to go. Jimmy, I want to get into the sign stealing for a second. I know Caleb wants to uh, weigh in here. I look at Josh Heupel, and he likes to, I think, uh, kind of press up against the the rules a little bit in, in terms of what he does, the aggressiveness, the going with tempo and and that sort of thing. Um, but I can't imagine anybody with any sort of intelligence whatsoever trying to pull off the sign-stealing scandal with so much proof out there. Yeah. I mean, just in stupidity, where does this rank among the dumbest um, cases of, of a scandal in college football history. This is right up there with me. Yeah, on a 1 to 10 scale, I'd put it at an 11. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I get that people have – and a lot of the sign stealing has been during the course of a game while, while you're playing that opponent, you're trying to figure out what they do, and then they have all these ridiculous cartoon placards up there, you know, trying to fool people. But to have a guy go out and buy tickets and it's known there's a paper trail, he went, they had another person that went to, to do this. And the NCAA some 30 years ago said, you cannot go to an opposing team's game and scout them. And yet they were pretty blatant about it. Uh, it's really dumb. Now, what I find interesting is Michigan saying that three other schools in the Big Ten uh, were doing, were, were sharing in the information somehow. Uh, but I, I uh, somebody asked me yesterday, do you think this is rampant through college football? Not like this. I don't think teams are sending people scouting all over the country doing this. Uh, if they were, I think we might have heard about it or we'd be hearing about it now. So I, I just think it's uh, incredibly dumb. And here's the thing, too. You know the Big Ten does not want to punish Michigan because they want Michigan in the college football playoff, right? And what does that do to the Big Ten to get a team in the playoff that's millions of dollars and perhaps even Michigan's good enough to win a national championship. So you know the conference does not want to nail Michigan right now. Maybe they'll get them on January the 12th, but not right now. Yeah, Jimmy, um, so I you, I know you say not like this. I still – you're right, this is peak stupid. I still say, and it's much more serious, the Penn State scandal was the stupidest because they were trying to cover for Jerry Sandusky because of the yeah. backlash they were worried about. I'm like, but if you guys turned them in, y'all all look, would have looked like heroes for turning yeah. in. So that's still, to me, the dumbest one and the most tragic one too. But um, 
the Michigan sign stealing thing. Do you think this is so? I know you say no one does it to this level. Do you think it's serious to the point to where it legitimately did give Michigan a uniquely unfair advantage that other schools didn't have? I, I do. Now, the degree of the advantage is, is what's hard to figure out. Deion Sanders said, oh, no, you still got to go play the game. I get that. Now, he, his analogy was if you're a batter and he was a major league player, if you know it's a, a curveball versus a fastball, it's a lot easier to hit, right? Yes. Uh, on, on this end of it, I, I get that if you have, if you know their tendencies, if you scout them, if you can tell their signals, then I do think that gives you an advantage. To what degree? It's hard for me to really quantify that. Uh, I will say that if you if you stole Tennessee signals, I'm not sure that helps you because their offense is so fast. How are you going to signal in the 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 defense when they're running it at warp speed and, and snapping it every 12 seconds? So I think it would be harder against a team like Tennessee. It would be easier against a team like Wisconsin, uh, Ohio State, teams that kind of plot along that, that don't go at a, at a really fast speed. So, I mean, is it worth a touchdown a game? I, I don't know, Caleb. It's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. I do think it's an advantage to what degree. Hard for me to say. What about the flip side, though, where Tennessee controls tempo and then get up at the line as long as they break the huddle quickly and they can look over there and see what defensive signs are coming in? <laughs> Yeah, that could help Tennessee, couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you could just you could you could be up there under center for ten seconds, and you're looking back and back and forth to both sides, and so it looks like they're running well, that thirty-four zone blitz. On the reverse, though, okay, did they get the signs of teams' offenses or defenses? Because my my thought on it was maybe, look, we know Michigan scouted Tennessee last year and Clemson, and then. We know South Carolina had a mysterious resurgence playing both Tennessee and Clemson last year. You're right. The sign stealing of Tennessee's offense is one thing, but it does help playing Tennessee if you get a hold of their defensive signs, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, it does, Kev. It sure does. I, I agree with that. So, um, yeah, I think that can be that could even be a more significant advantage if the offense knows what the defense is doing. And it also helps if you're South Carolina and Tennessee's secondary is bad. So that, <laughs> so that combination was lethal. Uh, for Tennessee against South Carolina. But you're right. You can steal the signals both ways, and it may be a, even a greater advantage to steal them based on what the defense is doing. Yep. Um, one last thing. Somebody wanted your thoughts on the Lady Vols as they open the season. Uh, your thoughts on uh, just the, the Lady Vols this year, what Tennessee fans should expect, obviously. Uh, it's never going to be like it was in the golden days, but yeah. – um, uh, a respectable program right now. Your thoughts, you know more about it than me. I think that they, uh, the expectation would be sweet 16. Now beyond that, sometimes it could be the matchup. Sometimes it could be how healthy you are. I think Rakia Jackson is one of the five best players in the country. Uh, the Spears uh, player that they got from Wake Forest, she averaged 19 points a game one year. Uh, she scored 20 in her debut. I think she's a great addition. I think Destiny Wells transferred in from, uh, I think it was MTSU, really good point guard. If they can get Tamari Key to play it close to the level she did before the blood clots, which is rebounding and defense. They don't need her to score much. Rebounding and defense. I mean, she's an all-time shot blocker at Tennessee. If she can come back and play it close to that level, I think Tennessee is a final four caliber team. They should get to the Sweet 16. Maybe they can get to the lead eight, depending on who they're matched up against. But I would not be shocked if they make the final four. 
Yep. Jim, uh, uh, go ahead, Caleb. One quick question on this. You got to bet on one team to go further in the NCAA tournament, the men or the women? Who's going further this year? Women. You think the women are? Used to... Yeah, and I say that. One, I think it's a little bit easier uh, because they don't have the, the depth of talent the men do. And the other thing, unfortunately, is, is Rick Barnes' track record. Um, he, I, I can see the men getting to the Sweet 16, and I, it's hard for me to see them going past that because they haven't, except once in the program's history. Uh, do, I, do I think they have the ability to do that? I do. The, Caleb, the one thing about this team, and it's bothered me the last two years, they still don't have a consistent inside score, and I think you got to have that. When another team rips off 10 points in a row or eight in a row, you need to be able to go inside and get a basket from a guy like uh, Williams. But uh, but they don't have that. Grant Williams could give you that, and that's one reason that, that was such an, uh, an exceptional team. So I still think they're missing that inside piece, although maybe this uh, Dalton Kinnett can do that. He can score outside. Maybe he can score inside as well. I know he's a slasher, but they, they've got to have somebody to get a, a key basket, and typically from the inside, and I don't see that for Rick Barnes' team. Well, all fans think Connect is the white Vince Carter. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Portions of the Look program. Look out. <laughs> Do you Rick Terry Jewelry Design? They want to be your jeweler looking for affordable game day jewelry. How about the Fire Opals, a Tennessee tradition? RickTerryJewelry.com. RickTerryJewelry.com. So, Jimmy, if I ask you this, um, that not winning a championship is a major motivator for Rick Barnes. Um, is just somewhat of a motivator or no motivator. You've been around him more than me. How much of a motivator motivator would it be to make another Final Four and to actually win a national title to, to cap his very successful career? I think he's a tremendous motivator. He he is a competitor uh, behind his, a lot of times, the even kill stuff that you see. I've seen him at practice sometimes. I mean, he's pretty rough on some of those players. Uh, so I, I think that means a lot to him. He, he will not let you, he will not, let you in the inner circle and let you think that. But I think that Florida Atlantic loss last year, I think that really cut hard with him. That that bothered him a lot more than he would ever acknowledge. And so they do, do go out and get what I think are two exceptional transfers. I think uh, the Ganey kid, Jordan Ganey, I think he's going to be a tremendous player. Cadet, I think, is going to be a great addition. Uh, they, this sounds weird, they may end up being Tennessee's two best players this year. Wow. So. I think that really cuts at Barnes, and he would love to uh, get back to the Final Four. And then always follow that up with someone that says, how many years does Rick Barnes have left? That is the most successful, unlikable coach. I think it's because of the postseason experience. What is his contract situation? I mean, he's not going anywhere until he wants to go somewhere, right? Uh, I agree with that. Uh, if I had to guess, I would, I'd probably say four or five more years. Wow. He's, yeah. Why do you say wow? You think uh, more? No, that just seems like a long time. It just. Uh... <laughs> I think it also annoys Rick Barnes kind of comes. And Jim, you probably know this, but Rick Barnes, it, it's not as bad as Derek Dooley. But remember how Derek Dooley would come across in press conferences. I'm so much smarter than you media people. Y'all don't know what I'm doing. Y'all aren't on my level. And then you're going out and going five and seven. Yeah. And it just I think it <laughs> rubbed you. I, Rick Barnes sometimes gives off that vibe. Like, I, he's not as bad as Derek Dooley was, but he, he kind of gives all the vibe of, I'm so much more intelligent than you guys. I know more about basketball. Y'all don't know what you're asking. But it's like, okay, but we know what we're seeing, and you not you keep underachieving in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I, I think he's like a lot of coaches. He doesn't like to be second-guessed. I yeah. think that's yeah. very fair yeah. to say. Now, 
But it's annoying uh, that they don't like to be second guessed. Uh, it can, well, it's especially annoying that you don't want to be second guessed and you got a losing record, Dooley. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and then when he loses to Kentucky, I know that he told he, he said, "Oh, that's not a big deal." That's so was Kentucky. Huh? He didn't understand the magnitude of losing to Kentucky. You don't lose to Kentucky at, at Tennessee. So, yeah, there are a lot of things Dooley didn't get. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think Barnes doesn't like to be second guessed. He doesn't like people questioning his strategy at times. I don't know that that's unlike a lot of coaches out there, but uh, I, I do think there are times when you need to acknowledge that's that's a fair question. That is a fair question. What what is what is the missing link in you getting to the elite eight or the final four? What's the missing link about finding an inside score or or the strategy that was used? What's funny about this, Caleb? I'll be curious to see how this goes. Last couple of years, Tennessee has started with exhibition games, shooting forty three pointers. Okay. Then as the season goes on, they get into SEC play. All of a sudden, it becomes 16 or 18 three-pointers. <laughs> so he, he kind of reels it back in to where he doesn't want to jack up a whole bunch of threes. But uh, it, I'll, I'll be curious to see if he if he keeps pace with shooting a lot of three-pointers, which he has started out doing the last two years. See, I always thought you went the opposite way. I thought you held it in and you're really disciplined – and then you and you let it go a little bit more throughout the season. That's what I'd always read, but it's it's hard to kind of get them back sometimes if they're used to shooting. Does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah. And what I think happens with Barnes though is I think he gets back to his roots. I, I think he gets back to this is how we need to play. We don't need to be throwing up a bunch of three pointers. Um, if, a lot of times it looks like he gives them the freedom to shoot. Uh, but I think there are other times he's like, hey, we've got to get it inside. You know, we, we can't be jacking up too many threes. We all know that you can live and die by the three, right? Uh, and when you're hot, you can beat a lot of people. And when you're cold, you can lose a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you prefer to limit the number of three-pointers. But I think that's been a problem for him in March in the sense of he wants to be – he focuses so much more on defense and wants to limit the three-pointers. And nowadays in college basketball, yeah, you can live and die by the three, but that Lenovo has figured out the model, which is if you get 10 three-pointers – three-point shooters well heck if five of them are off you still got five that can hit <laughs> so i mean not not all 10 are going to be off and i think barnes is you're it's like he's it's like i'm watching gene hackman coach the hoosiers that's what i always say eric coaching hoosiers it's like you know it's almost it, i think rick barnes sometimes is what i've always hated about college basketball which is sometimes i see offenses are overcoached in college basketball and i it, rick barnes is the biggest culprit of that one of the things, of course, they've got the picket fence defense at Tennessee, so they can stop <laughs> a lot of people with that. Uh, I think one of the things, if you look the last few years, Tennessee, when they've been eliminated from the NCAA tournament, what's the one constant you can point to? A bad shooting game. That's what keeps happening. And that's that's why, Caleb, I'm with you. They need they need more good shooters. Uh, but um, – You'll have like a Josiah Jordan James who'll go six for seven on threes, and then you get in a tournament, he's one for seven. So you can't, you've got to, you got to be able to score points. It's not just defense, defense, and all that wins it. Look at the teams that are winning championships, and usually they're in the, in basketball, they're in the top 30 on offense and the top 30 in defense. They have that balance. And Tennessee recently has been good on defense, but their offensive efficiency has been somewhere in the hundreds, and that's not good enough. The the world is a better sports pl a better place for this sports movie. Is it Hoosiers or Waterboy? Waterboy. It's got to be Waterboy, right, Jimmy? 
Hoosiers is the stupidest movie. <laughs> no, it's not stupid. <laughs> Come on. Or passive. Wait, uh, we actually think that that's good coaching, that you coach an underdog team, you teach them to make four passes before they ever shoot. That is the dumbest strategy at any level at any time. Are you saying you have a fast break? <laughs> what year did they do that? Caleb, you can't come look through the lens of 2023 and compare it to 1940, whatever. I don't care if it's 1835. <laughs> if you have a fast break to the basket, you don't say, oh, I got this free layup. But no, I got to pass it three times first. That's so hey, dumb. Let me ask you a question. Did they win? They didn't win doing did that. Win? That's why it's a dumb movie. It's a fake movie. That's not how they won <laughs> no, it's it. it's not a fake movie. They actually did. I know the guy that was coaching that Muncie team. He was on the staff at LSU. His name was Jay McCrary. And he mandated four passes before they shot every time? I don't I – don't, look, remember now, <laughs> Hollywood takes a lot of liberties. Yes. And that's – we're not a talking about the liberties. story. We're not talking about the story. We're talking about the movie. The idea that if you have an undermanned team, you should call four passes before you set anything up – Usually in basketball, and this was true in the 50s, when you're undermanned, you don't want to be running half-court sets because you're undermanned. So you want to try to create easy buckets more than anything else. And that was true in 1959, and it's true now. Never is four passes before you shoot a good philosophy on offense. They won the championship, Caleb. Right, they won it all. They won it all. That was probably the greatest. Well, just think how good they'd have been if they limited it to two passes. For possessions, yeah, four. or they oh, added wow. a three point line. That well, they had blown them out. That was a <laughs> and also, when you're undermanned and undersized, you don't want a defense first philosophy because, again, you're not going to be good enough defensively when you're undersized. So, again, though, that's not how you win when you're undermanned and undersized in, in basketball. I think one of the okay, things I'm you, going with Waterboy, yeah, whether it's blindsided, this movie was stupid. Yeah, whether it's blindsided or water boy, I think that you learn that there's a lot of things that are are changed. And Rudy oh, in particular. I can yeah, remember they're, they're, yeah, I can remember being on a Saturday show with I think his name's Rudy Rudiginger. That you the guy who did Rudy at Notre Dame. Oh yeah, yeah. For some reason you were filling in, somebody else had to be there and he was on the air. And um I don't believe he got into Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna go with that. Jimmy, have a, have a fantastic day. We will talk to you soon. We look forward to your prediction column and more on off the sports. Thank you, buddy. Okay, guys. Enjoyed it. See you today. See you, Caleb. See you bye. Have a good he's a super he's a super nice guy. Just not sure that he got it in Notre Dame. Dave, I'm gonna make Waterboy sound like an Oscar winning movie real quick. You ready? It's incredible. A a socially awkward man abandoned by his father finds love playing football in the poorest parts of Southern Louisiana. You could make it, you could make Waterboy serious in an Oscar winning movie with that. Couldn't you? There's no question about it. Um, That is, (laughs) that is absolute gold. Uh, Coming up on the program, Tennessee 13. Does that feel right? Two minutes with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the sports. Got cataracts. We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com.
Hi, I'm Rick Terry, and we at Rick Terry Jewelry Designs pride ourselves in the highest quality craftsmanship from a family-owned business here in Knoxville for over 35 years. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we also take pride in being an affordable option for all your game day accessories, especially those fire opals. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we want to be your jeweler every day and especially on game day. Go Vols! Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. The Replacements is a good football movie, somebody pointed out, which is about, did you know this, who it's oh, about? Yeah. Well, Tony Robinson. Yeah. There are actually many groups that were um, – you know, Hollywood's always been accused of whitewashing things, and so many groups were upset that they had a white person play quarterback in place of Tony Robinson. That was very controversial, funny enough. Yeah, um, I, I remember that. I th- it was so off from what really happened. I didn't have a problem if the guy was white, yellow, black, whatever. I mean, the story was so different than yeah, Tony Robinson. Play, they, like, they had him playing, and uh, he played in Nebraska in the movie and lost in the Sugar Bowl. Well, see, it was almost. I was talking to my wife about this. Um, yeah, Good Morning Vietnam. Did um, Robin Williams write that movie for himself, or was it did it exist? And it's a little bit of both. It existed, and he heard about it, and he's like, "Let's make that for me." And it was to sh- then showcase his talents. So we got into that conversation over the weekend, and uh, there there are some similarities there. Um, so, all right, uh, we got a lot to get to on the program as, uh, remind you each and every day, but I, I had to double check this because Rick Barnes is 69 and I was pretty darn sure he was, but Jimmy's had five more years. Does that number surprise you? No. I mean, again, I, age is, I don't like the phrase age is just a number. Age is relevant, but it's a case by case basis. There are people in their eighties who to me seem younger than people in their fifties. It really does just depend on, again, case by case basis. Um, so I think okay, that. Okay, but so let me let me ask you this: Why is it uh, J. Rod of Villanova could step down, Brad Stevens <clears throat> at Boston could step down? Um, is is it that you have a championship in your pocket at some point during your, during your tenure? If you're Rick Barnes, why do you want to push until you're seventy five? Is it just that championship? If he wins that championship this year. Is he going to exit stage left? I mean, do you think that's, according to Jimmy, that was the major factor. Maybe it should be. Uh, I don't think Rick Barnes cares if he wins a championship. I think Rick Barnes is just, he likes developing players. I think he genuinely likes developing talent. I think he's the guy that's in coaching for the relationships and the development of players that he does. 
And so I think that's really the big part of it for Rick Barnes. I think um, that, that doesn't mean he wouldn't take better jobs. Or I mean, I think Tennessee is the best job he could take. He looked at the UCLA job a few years ago, but let's be honest, I don't think UCLA is a good job in basketball. I know that's the, I know that's blasphemy to say, but the expectations aren't going to meet the possibilities ever. Or the possibilities don't meet the expectations at UCLA in basketball. It's very Notre Dame-esque in football. In yeah, that doesn't sound like the job that you want to take at 68 or 67 or whatever he was yeah. at the time. I'm like, ugh. Uh, exactly. Travis says, how old is our president? At least 93, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down the political realm. I refuse to do that. So uh, with, with Barnes and uh, – potentially coaching until he was uh, 75. That seemed odd to me. Uh, another number I want you to keep in mind, Tennessee number 13 in the college football playoff ranking. Did you have any major concern with Tennessee? If somebody asked me just off the street, so what do you think uh, Tennessee this year, if you had to rank them with all the other schools, I'd say they feel like about a top 15 program to me. I'm not sure. I would say top 10 to 15 program until I see a little bit more of Joe Milton, but I would say a top 15 program. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I think that I think top 15 program uh, is perfect. And I think if Tennessee splits the next two games, which I think that's the most logical prediction most people would say, right, then they're going to finish a top 15 program this year. And I think that Tennessee, they're number 13. They're the highest ranked two loss team. And I'm sorry, they're the second highest ranked two loss team this year in football. Oregon State is the highest at number 12. And then it's a bunch of one-loss teams that I don't think will remain one-loss teams. Now, to me, the the crazy part of the playoff, and we'll get to Tennessee because I look, there is an outside shot at Tennessee getting into the playoff. Tell me how that part. has to happen really quick because I know you got everybody excited for Mizzou over the weekend. Well, you first need Ole Miss to beat Georgia this weekend. That's that is number one. We'll get to the rooting interest later in this week, but you need Ole Miss to beat Georgia, and you probably, you know, honestly, I would have said. Michigan or Ohio State to lose two games, but I got to be honest, if Michigan beats Penn State and then Michigan loses to Ohio State, given the fact that Ohio State is undefeated, I think the Big Ten will be a little bit happy to go ahead and come down with a punishment. And maybe a one-loss Michigan will just be banned from the playoff. Maybe that's it. So here's your breakdown. If you don't have it in front of you, if you're in your car or whatever, be sure and leave us a review on our podcast. It makes it show up for more people. Hit the like and subscribe button. We really appreciate that. And um, um, we've got a special announcement coming up. As you've noticed, unlike some other YouTube people, I don't say, hey, throw us uh, $4.99. Be great. Uh, we're going to find a way for you to give back in, in better ways because, uh, to be true, truth be told, YouTube takes that money. And I'd rather it go to different places. All right. So, uh, but the college football playoff ranking is Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Michigan 3, Florida State 4, Washington at 5, Oregon at 6, Texas 7, Alabama 8. Ole Miss 9, Penn State 10, Louisville 11, Oregon State at 12, and Tennessee at 13. How many of those teams ahead of Tennessee would you say they would beat on a neutral field? Oregon State, Louisville, Penn State, Ole Miss. I would I go the nine. I'm not trying to take the easy way out, but I would go the 9, 10, 11, 12, the teams right in front of them, Ole Miss, Penn State, Louisville, and Oregon State. I, yeah, I would go that too. I, that those are the four. Those are the four. I think Tennessee. Now I could make a strong argument for Alabama, but since that game was just played, it would make me look stupid. Uh, same way it looked stupid last year for the College Football Playoff Committee to have Alabama over Tennessee, even though Tennessee had just beat it. Anyway, Put it this way: I think Tennessee could 
Tennessee, the way they're playing right now, is capable of beating anybody on a neutral field. Anybody. Well, that just, doesn't mean they would. Yeah, that's another but, that's another level. So I want to get to okay. could they be. They would. Yeah, they that's would. Would be. would be Penn State, Louisville, Oregon State, and Ole Miss, right? We agree on right. that? Right. Could beat. Well, obviously, you could beat Alabama. You did it for a half. You could beat Texas. You could beat Oregon. And we're talking neutral field. Could beat Washington. Could beat Florida State. That's where I would draw the line, and I've got another level that I'll share with you. But what do you think about the could beats? I think they, I think they could beat anybody on a neutral field, and the okay, reason, so- and that includes Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan. And the reason I say that is largely because, again, look, Georgia is playing down to opponents a lot this year. You're telling me that they're not capable of slipping up against a Tennessee team that is just look. Tennessee is rolling right now on offense. And okay. I, I think people are over are underestimating just how good Tennessee looks on offense right now. Uh, so we got a coulda, shoulda. Here, how about a woulda? Would need some help. Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan. If those teams show up and play their best game, you're probably not going to beat them. You're bad. not. Well, no, you're not beating them if they play their best game. But I don't think you're beating Alabama if they play their best game either. Honestly, nah, so you're right. But that's that's a way to kind of delineate. If they come up and they they play an above average game. CC plus game, then you're going to have a, a tough time winning that. Is that fair? Absolutely. B, B plus but, game. Yeah. They, and Dave, looking at these rankings, I got to ask you, and it's funny because they're dying as a conference. Washington's number five. Oregon is number six. Now, if you look at oh, the no. resumes, Washington has played the second toughest schedule of any undefeated team. Ohio State's played the toughest. I, I, and, I know. It's like the Pac-12 is doing the win one for the Gipper thing. Well, it's it, like, go out and have a great year in the last year of existence. But my question is, how are they down at number? Do you think they're? This is crazy because we used, you know, everybody in the South used to say there's anti-SEC bias. For how many times do we hear that for like thirty years? Is the Pac-12 the new that? Is there anti-Pac-12 bias from the College Football Playoff Committee right now, where they're just like we can't envision? I will be honest with you. It's funny you brought this up. So I'm laying in my bed at like one a.m. on Saturday night, Sunday morning. It was a little bit more difficult for me to get revved up for Pac-12 football knowing that the conference wasn't going to be around. And usually that's when I watch a lot after the missus goes to sleep and I'll flip around. That, that's and and I was more apt to watch a highlight show of SEC football than I was to watch a live Pac-12 game. And I'm usually the opposite. And I wondered to myself why I did that. And I thought, well, I mean, they can't win a conference. So let's just see what happens at the end of the year. And if they're around, then you'll be a learned individual about them. But right now you don't necessarily need to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's, and I think it's affecting the playoff committee, I, because there's no way you could look at Washington and not have them at least ahead of Florida State right now. And so now I would have them ahead of Georgia and Michigan because I don't think Georgia and Michigan have enough of a resume. So I'd have Washington at number two. But now they still control their own destiny because as you know, Ohio State and Michigan play each other. So if one of them loses and Washington stays undefeated, they're going to the playoff. And so I think they have nothing to worry about with that. But yeah, I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I I think there is, I think there's some anti. I, and by the way, Pac-12 games, you know this, Dave. They are most of the sports writers are on the Midwest and East Coast, and Pac-12 games go until what one or two in the morning. I don't think they're watching a lot of these games, a lot of times. Well, I mean that could be said any year, but is it different this year because of the conference imploding? It is to me a little bit. Um, I yeah. don't know if it is to most people. 
Uh, Tennessee Cider Company, the original hard cider of the Smoky Mountains, use the promo code HAT. That's HAT to receive some free swag with your cider order available most anywhere in the U.S. TNCiderCompany.com. TNCiderCompany.com. I mean, they don't have a conference to win. So when, Caleb, I, I look at those uh, those Pac-12 games, I do think that they probably get short-sighted a little bit as far as their rankings. But when you, when you look at Tennessee at number 13, I told you earlier, it just kind of had that feel of a, a round top 11 to top 14 team for me based off what I've seen elsewhere. Does Tennessee have a major argument over anybody ahead of it to be higher? Because we are getting to the point where if some crazy things happen, like Ole Miss beats Georgia, then we can start having this conversation. I don't know that you can have it right now, but we're getting close to being at that point. And goodness gracious, after what Tennessee fans went through last year, the last thing you would want is to be number five and an Oregon State gets a number four spot and you probably don't know much about them. Is there anybody that Tennessee has a strong argument over being ahead? I'll always say Penn State because I think fundamentally James Franklin programs aren't running the right way, but that, that's just going to be me if they were two and one right now. Anybody else stand out to you? No, they don't have an argument over anybody, including Penn State, because Tennessee hasn't yet. If they win the next two games, they will. But right now, they don't really have – I mean, what's their best win is Kentucky or Texas A&M? Yeah, and yeah. if you go resume, you're 100 and- Twenty nine thousand percent right. Yeah, and so now, so yeah, I got to put them at thirteen right now. It, but that, but again, if they win the next two weeks, I think you're going to see them leapfrog quite a few teams. Um, and so I think you will see it. And Dave, we're going to start having this conversation. I'm saving this for next week because it may not be a relevant conversation. But if Tennessee finishes like number five in the college football playoff ranking or something like that, or loses the East only, or only because but beats Georgia. We're going to start asking if that Florida loss earlier in the year is the worst loss in Tennessee football history. It's We're going to ask since it's the worst loss since 2001 SEC championship game. Does it surpass South Carolina last year? Oh no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but but we're going to ask about that one. We're going oh. to ask that question if it does, because yes. again, depending on how Florida finishes the season, which it looks like they're going to finish without going to a bowl game. If if we find out Tennessee finished ten and two and they didn't win the East because they lost to a five and seven Florida team, that's going to be that will make it the worst loss since the two thousand one SEC title game, bar none. And it's and by the way, and the fact that it was to Florida just would have made it even worse. Yep, um, absolutely. Uh, what did you think of the Lady Vols? We talked a little Lady Vols with uh, Jimmy, but Brittany Griner was uh, cheered on. Uh, she's a polarizing figure uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, her stance on not being real uh, pro-America, which I'm not a fan of. And then her stance on, well, taking ganja to Russia, which is frowned upon, and getting arrested and thrown in a Russian prison, which is terrible and violates all kinds of um, human rights uh, agreements that we should have in place. But still, in part of the reason she was there is because she was a celebrity. <clears throat> so there's a lot of different hot button topics on this, but what did you think about her being at Tennessee and uh, got a, got a great round, a standing round of, ova- of ovation before she headed into the game. What'd you think? Yeah, this was for those who don't, this wasn't Tennessee against Florida A&M. This was the lady boss playing the U S national team on Sunday. Um, and 
Brittany Griner, what this is kind of the proof to me that like I don't think people, I don't even think Tennessee fans understand the culture of Lady Vols basketball. How many times, Dave, have we talked about? You probably know this. The Lady Vols fan base is unique from every other fan base at Tennessee and in, in, in all the sports, right? It is a specific group that is not always affiliated with the university, even. These are people that love their Lady Vol fans, but they are fans of women's basketball from the sport. They have a soft spot for Title IX and they root for the Lady Vols because they were the first to embrace Title IX in the 70s. And Brittany Griner, by the way, cost the Lady Vols a national championship because in 2011, I believe, when Kim Mulkey was at Baylor, Tennessee had a national title team, Pat Summit's last credible national title contender, and Tennessee lost to Baylor in the Elite Eight, I believe. And But I think there is an appreciation for Brittany Griner. There's not a lot of... Guys, for those who don't know, if you go to Lady Vols basketball games, they still cheer the starting lineup for the other team. I mean, they, they stand up in a, you know, in the, it's not the whole sucks, sucks or whatever, you know, like booing players when they have the ball. No, they don't do that with the Lady Vols. They cheer the other team's starting lineup with, when you go to Lady Vols games, what you see, it's not of, and I'm not so sure this is good for them, by the way. I'm not so sure this is good for the Lady Vols. They treat it as more of a love and appreciation for women's basketball and women's basketball players as a whole, not necessarily rooting for one team. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think all that's true. And I think they wanted the sport to be big. I think Pat Summit was about that. I think their last four times playing UConn, she probably didn't really want to, but she did because she knew it was big for the, for the sport with the, the Brittany Griner thing <clears throat> it took what nine months in a Russian prison, but she, she has changed her tune. Um, you know, she stood for the national anthem this year for the first time in a, a couple of years after 10 months of imprisonment in Russia. And she said that she does look at the, at the country a little bit different. So that's kind of a, my bad E on me. Uh, I'll take that. Uh, good luck to her. I'm, I'm glad she's not in a Russian prison any longer. And, um, you know, I think she admitted some things that, um, you know, she took for granted as an American citizen. So you, you say that. And I'm and also, I am too. And for people that here's one of the things that upset me. If you want to say Brittany Griner was not worth whatever trade to get, or she should stay in the Russian prison because she broke the law in Russia. Fine. But Dave, I think I can get you on my side on this. If you think, if you're one of those people who thought she should stay in prison because you didn't like her comments on America beforehand. Well, I'm sorry. That's not America. You should want, you shouldn't think someone should be punished in a foreign prison because they say something you disagree with. Even if I, know, I think that's the exact opposite of being American. You yeah, should shift them off to Siberia and let them deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Like the whole nature of the first amendment is, is our government should sit there and say, well, how they feel about America or anything is irrelevant. Okay. Now, so that's where I come with that. It's yeah. You shouldn't sit there and say, well, I don't like her not standing for the national anthem. So I'm totally fine with her being in a Russian prison for nine months to a year. I whatever. definitely didn't. I definitely didn't go that far. Um, so, but let me ask you this. So you're, you're at a Brittany Griner game, like uh, Tennessee fans were here recently and you're, you're, you're seeing her be introduced and you're like, Oh, should I, um, should I cheer for this person? Should I sit on my hands for this person? Be sure and hit that like and subscribe button. What should I do for this person? who has said the uh, the United States of America is not great, but she's also suffered this inc incredible 
a disastrous um, sentence in in a Siberian prison. Are you cheering? Are you not? Are you sitting on your hands? Are you protesting? What 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 are you doing? I mean, if I'm a Lady Vols fan, I'm not cheering because I think the Lady Vols. Yeah, me neither. Cheering. <laughs> yeah, because I'm I, I I think and I'm I'm honest on this. I think the whole sportsmanship culture of the Lady Vols fan base who loves women's basketball is what's holding the Lady Vols back. And this is why, and, and honestly, it, it goes back to Pat Summit. Pat Summit was way too by the book for the changing age of sports. And if you wanted women's basketball to get to the next level, you got to make it more competitive and chippy, don't you, Dave? You got like, you need a few, you need a few fights here and there. And you need a few really hated rivalries. And I think Pat Summit was still much of the, look, the, I said it. Yeah, it's an unfair advantage that Gina Oriama using ESPN to recruit. But it's like, okay, that's that's the nature of women's basketball or the nature of sports. You're going to use your advantages. And I think staying purist has really, really hurt the Lady Vols, quite honestly. Very, I, I put it this way. Dave, I the Lady Vols staying in-house hurt you. I think to say that you're only going to limit yourself to a pool of players that played for Pat Summit or that were on the coaching staff, I think that's – you just by numbers, you're taking your potential applicants from uh, limitless tens of thousands, a um, hundred of which would probably be uh, considered a, a, a good hire for the job or maybe a little bit less than that. And then you're, you're just saying, oh, we got to hire somebody that played for Pat. That doesn't make any sense to me. And that's what I think they have to get away with if they ever make a change with Kelly Harper. Here's the well. Also, they have to start shilling out some money for better coaches. But Dave, here's well, not better, but just shelling out more money. Here's one of the issues, Dave, and this is a big issue. They and this is Dave Hart's fault. They dug a hole when they hired, not because they hired Holly Warlick. That was the right move. And lady, I, I have I have the scars to prove people came at me for this. But I said that if Dave Hart pushed out Pat Summit, he was right to push out Pat Summit. I'm sorry, but you have to do that given her illness. You can't keep her coaching on the sidelines. Um, oh, she, she was, was right struggling. She was struggling. I know yeah. people that actually covered that beat that they knew that something was wrong the year before. They knew that she wasn't really even in charge of the team or final year coaching. Yeah. Um, so it was very sad. So it was right to hire Holly Warlick. She was the most qualified for the job at that moment. I understand why she was fired. She hadn't done what she needed to do, but here's where Tennessee dug themselves a hole. When they hired Holly Warlick, she was like the 10th or 11th highest paid coach in the SEC at the time. So if you now shell out money for a coach, particularly a male coach, to come in, many of the Lady Vol fan-based culture will say, y'all are paying him this much when you didn't pay Holly Warlick this much when she was so much more qualified at the time to take the job? Whatever else you want to think. I mean, that that's that's going to be an albatross around the neck of the, Lady, of the Lady Vols culture going forward because there will always be the question, why didn't you give Holly Warlick this contract when she was far and away the most qualified person to ever take a job ever when she was hired as the as Pat Summit's successor in 2011? No, I don't. I don't have an argument with any of that. But I would sit down and I would show that person the spreadsheet. This person brings in X amount of money. Rick Barnes through just uh, getting in the NCAA tournament, and this person who we expect more of because it's not as competitive uh, on the women's side. This is how much money they bring in the house um, because they're basically doing the same thing and sweet 16. And it's going to be considerably more for the guys. So if you didn't like that spreadsheet com conversation, I'm 
Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I think well, no, him, I'm not talking about men. I mean, not you specifically, coaches. but I'm just talking about just in terms of a coach. If a coach has that argument, that would be. Yeah, but I wasn't talking about. Yeah, I would. That wouldn't be their argument. Their argument would be, what if Tennessee hires the most qualified women's basketball coach as a man coming up and they hire him and they realize to get him, they have to shell out some money for him. I'm not talking about Rick Barnes making more money than the women's coach. I'm talking about a male coach of the women's team getting a better deal than Holly Warlick got when she was hired 12 years ago or whatever. Is that that's, something that somebody would really look at? That I mean, is an out. That is an one makes money. One doesn't. No, 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 no. I'm talking. We're not talking about men's versus women's basketball. I'm talking about a male coach of the women's basketball team. Okay. If Tennessee hire some of the most qualified coaches out there right now are men in women's basketball. The issue is Tennessee would might want to hire one of them. And if they did and give that man coaching the women's team a better deal than they gave Holly Warlick 12 years ago to coach the women's team, that's going to be a really bad look. But the truth of the matter is, Dave, if Tennessee wants to stay elite and they can't and they have to move on from Kelly Harper, they're going to have to shell out more money than they gave Holly Warlick. So the original sin was not giving Holly Warlick the contract she deserved when she was hired in 2011 because everything's going to be compared to well, this person wasn't as qualified as Holly Warlick. Why aren't you giving? Why are you giving them so much more money? Yep. And uh, well, I, I got Mr. Jones has it all figured out. Hire Candace Parker to coach the men's team. There we go. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Want to thank uh, a very new advertiser to the program, Sandy Self at uh, State Farm. Customer service still matters. State Farm agent Andy or State Farm agent Don Self. And his team will take customer service very seriously. For well over 40 years, they built their business and reputation on taking care of their customers in College Dale and Ottawa, as well as the greater Chattanooga area. Don and his team pride themselves on making sure you and your family won't have any surprises at the time of your claim for you or your small business. Again, that is our friend Don Self, and you need to check him out. Customer service still matters. Don Self, your friendly neighborhood State Farm agent for the greater chattanooga area we will see you each and every weekday at 10 a.m hit that like button subscribe leave us a review on whatever podcast distribution channel you're using we greatly appreciate that for caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker a presentation of off the hook sports